This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Friday, July 24th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. How President Trump is bending DHS to his will. Plus, the new artificial intelligence that could be just as groundbreaking as the iPhone. First, though, dispelling American myths about the racial wealth gap is today's one big thing. Ideas about the racial wealth gap have been around for a long time, and the narrative has been that if Black Americans worked hard, valued education, and invested in themselves, that wealth gap could close. But as Exios's markets editor Dion Rabowen writes, many of these causes and solutions fall apart when you look at the details. A lot of this stuff was, was stuff I didn't know when I started, but it makes very clear that it's not about personal responsibility or, you know, more financial literacy or education or any of that. And so I wanted to put something together where there were facts and figures and very clear data that show exactly what's really happening, what's been happening and the results of all of that. So, Dion, what did you find when you looked into this? When we talk about wealth, it's important to understand that it's not just income. It's not just how much money you make. It's also the things that you own. And when your family has more money, you can have more money and then your kids can have more money. And that just starts this cycle that black Americans have been left out of for literally generations. The top 10 percent of white households have one point eight million dollars worth of wealth. The top 10 percent of black households have about three hundred forty thousand dollars worth of wealth. And it goes that way, you know, all the way down and at basically every income level that you look at. So, Dan, let's talk about education, because traditionally in America, a college education has been seen as the fastest way to increase your personal wealth, having a college degree. That wealth of black Americans, whether you're talking about high school, college or even post-college education, it pales in comparison and is sometimes, you know, one-tenth of the level of comparably educated white people. An example, Black households who have some post-college education, have done some advanced degree work, have less wealth than college-educated white people. I've always been really fascinated with the idea of the myths that we have in this country. And there are many American myths, and a lot of them do have to do with wealth or who makes it. And I wonder why you think dispelling those myths are important when we think about our narrative or how not just we understand history, but how we look at the present. It's important because to understand how to get to where we want to go, we have to understand how we got here. So I think part of that is dispelling these myths because they're a lot of what people say when you talk about potential solutions. You say, we need to pass legislation and we need to enact programs. And people say, no, 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 it's just hard work that, that you need. It's not just white people who say these, but black people as well, you know, say black people would only get their act together. Well, black people have been getting their act together and this wealth gap hasn't closed. It's actually gotten wider. There's so much data that you looked into, and I'm going to encourage everyone to look at your reporting, and they can do that online. I will tweet out the link. We will have it up on our show page. But thanks, Dion. Thanks for being with me. I appreciate it. 
Thanks so much for having me. We'll be back in 15 seconds with what former DHS officials are saying about Trump's Department of Homeland Security. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to Axios Today. Axios Insider is a sneak peek into the conversations in our newsroom. It's been a record 472 days since a Senate-confirmed secretary sat in charge of the Department of Homeland Security. Steph Kite is one of our politics reporters and has been covering the story. Hey, Steph, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Steph, who is running DHS? So Chad Wolf has been the acting secretary for quite some time, and a lot of the leaders at DHS are in acting positions. And that means that they haven't been confirmed by the Senate. And it also means that there's more flexibility for Trump to get rid of them if they're not doing what he wants them to do. He can just replace them with someone else. And that's something that a lot of former agency officials I spoke to are concerned about. Now, you also spoke with a former ICE official under President Trump who defended this use of the agency. What did he say? Thomas Homan was the head of ICE under Trump for a little while. One thing that Homan told me was that he doesn't think it's coincidence that these events in Portland and Chicago are happening in sanctuary cities, cities that don't cooperate with ICE. He actually told me that he supported what the president was doing with DHS agents. And he said that because of the way immigration laws work, the president has a lot of authority to decide how immigration agents carry out their job. Steph Kite covers politics for Axios. Thanks, Steph. Thanks for having me. And to catch you up quick on another politics story, Axios has an exclusive poll from SurveyMonkey. There are four governors that have been hit the hardest in the polls for their handling of the pandemic. All Republicans, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, Arizona Governor Doug Ducey, and Georgia's Governor Brian Kemp. All of them saw their approval ratings drastically decrease this month as COVID cases in their states increase. Bottom line here is that the presidential election isn't the only one that will be impacted by the virus. Local leaders can expect to be affected as well. Hey Siri. We use artificial intelligence in so many different ways in our life. Everything from voice to text transcription to your smart speaker. But if you think Alexa is smart or think it could use some work, there's a new AI system that early testers say is eerily human-like in its ability to learn language. Brian Walsh is Axios's future correspondent. Can you tell us about this new system? So GPT-3 is what's known as a general language machine learning model. It's an AI that's been trained on the words of the Internet, and in its case, half a trillion words. And it is by far the largest model of this sort that's ever been made. And what's really amazing about it is that it's actually able to understand written language and give you back answers that creates both the illusion of something actually being there on the other side, but also opens the door to all kinds of applications, including even creating virtual assistant series, Alexas, that might actually do what you say. So I want to get back to that in a second. Have you actually talked to this? Talked is probably not the right word, but what was your reaction when you used it? It was really hard not to believe that there was something 
lifelike on the other end of it. If I didn't know better, I would have had a hard time saying which was which, really. What are the practical applications of this? And what's the time frame of when we might see this in our everyday life? So the practical applications of GPT-3 are really creating a much more efficient virtual assistant. But also think about the way you use a web search. And Google has gotten much better over time at delivering you the web pages that will have that info. But what GPT-3 can begin to do is just give you the answer. So Brian, obviously, when we think of AI, we think of disastrous sci-fi situations. But what are other ways a system like this could be used for malevolent purposes? Anything that could actually just generate text that seems very hard to distinguish between what a human can write. Think about the nefarious uses for that. We already see fake news being written by people. But if you can have a machine that can do it as well as a human being, but can do it at essentially infinite scale, constantly improving, that's extremely worrying. And I worry a little bit that as much as the robots are trying to be more human-like, what will actually happen is that humans and their communication, the way they think even, will become more robot-like in order to be understood by the machines that in the end of the day are probably going to end up running things. The GPT-3 could be as revolutionary as the iPhone was when it first came out. And while there may be negative consequences, the possible advancements for telemedicine, virtual assistants, and more seem even more important to our current world of working and learning remotely. Brian Walsh is the future correspondent at Axios. Before we leave you for the weekend, it turns out some people have done more than baking bread and sitting on Zoom calls during this pandemic. Taylor Swift actually wrote an entire album in isolation called Folklore, and it came out at midnight this morning. Here's a quick preview. Taylor is known for planning elaborate album releases, but she says this is different because the times we're living in keep reminding her that, quote, nothing is guaranteed. If you make something you love, you should just put it out into the world. That's it for us this week. Axios Today is brought to you by Axios and Pushkin Industries. We're produced by Carol Alderman, Nuria Marquez-Martinez, Kara Schillen, and Naomi Shaven. Alex Sugiyara is our mix engineer. Sarah Kehilani-Gu is our executive editor. Special thanks to Axios co-founder Mike Allen. At Pushkin, our executive producers are Lital Malad and Jacob Weisberg. You can write to us at podcasts at axios.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and have a great weekend. Oh, 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 oh,